Greetings everyone and welcome to Lab Talk. In this podcast, I talk and interview various professionals and entrepreneurs within the food, biotech and pharma industries about their journey, expertise, challenges and their day-to-day activities. Tune in, grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. This podcast is brought to you by GMP Limbs. GMP Limbs will help your lab with informatics challenges and regulatory compliance like 21 CFR Part 11. For more information, visit them at gmplimbs.com. Welcome to Lab Talk. In this episode of our podcast, I had the opportunity to talk with my dear friend, Dr. Zohre Nemati. Dr. Zohre Nemati has acted as a research associate at various universities and organizations such as University of South Florida, Tampa and Spain Ministry. Having her master's and PhD in applied physics, she has published more than 20 papers to date. She has also served as a judge for various journals such as Journal of Electrical Materials, Journal of Science, Advanced Materials and Devices, and Journal of Materials Research. When it comes to connecting physics and biological sciences, she is the person to go to. In this episode, I sat down with Dr. Nemati and talked about testing a spheric surfaces with computer-generated holograms and the potential role of magnetic nanoparticles in cancer treatment and cancer research. Today my guest is uh, Dr. Zohra Nemati and uh, I have known you for a while from the time you were going uh, and doing your studies here I guess uh, at the U of M doing your, I believe it was postdoc, correct? Yes, that's yeah. correct. And uh, I was always fascinated by the fact that uh, it was physics, and I mean, I, I didn't understand it at the time being. So I was like, hey, you know what? Um, I really didn't understand the concept of her studies. I would love to have her as a guest and just uh, have her maybe clarify the things that she worked on and maybe give us a bit of background about her story and um, her interests and stuff. So. I guess uh, I'll start with the first question that says, uh, obviously, like, if you could tell us about yourself and your interests and how you got interested in the world of physics, biophysics, and uh, biology and all of that. So I want to be honest with you. It was not that I was interested in physics. I had a concours. I took yes. an exam. And my score was somehow just good enough for physics, math, and statistics, and uh, agricultural engineering, and chemical engineering at the time. And between those, and accounting. And between those, um, I knew I should choose between those, so I decided to go for physics because I don't know, my high school teacher was always telling me that you are good in physics, you should continue in physics. I said, okay, but that was not something I had in my mind at all. But then I just went to a school. I was not a good student at all. That's the truth. 
So if um, somebody who is listening to this and they, they didn't do good in their bachelors, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. So whenever you decide, you can fix it. And, um, and after I was done with my bachelor's degree, um, I couldn't find a job. So I decided to continue my education and do my master's. And I was always thinking, okay, if I do my master's in physics, I am going to uh, going abroad. Um, at the time, I didn't have U.S. in my mind particularly. Yeah, you know, I had some teenage dreams in my head, but uh, really it was not my uh, main interest. I was trying to go to Europe, but some other stories happened that I decided that I wanted to go to U.S. And then I started to apply for PhD in U.S. and um, on, uh, I was accepted at the University of uh, South Florida uh, for fall of 2011. But of course, I am from Iran, and there are always issues for Iranians to get visa. Yeah. I had to defer one semester, and even I went to Embassy of United States. And my main application for the visa was in Embassy of U.S. in Dubai, and. And then, because there is no embassy of U.S. in Iran, of course. And then I went to I went to Turkmenistan again for visa. And I don't know. They told me you have a case in Dubai. We cannot do anything for you. And I was trying to contact with different people. That is a long story by itself. But finally, I came to U.S. Um, December 2011. Mm-hmm. I started my PhD at the University of South Florida, and uh, I was doing optics kind of a spectroscopy because my background was optics. I did one master's in Iran in optics. Okay. Um, but then um, um, it didn't go very well, actually, uh, with my new advisor. He, was, he helped me a lot to get out of the country and, I mean, come back to, come, come to U.S., um, but um, it didn't work between us. And I felt like, okay, before it gets bad, let's switch my lab. And I was checking other advisors around and their work. And um, I had an Indian friend at the time, Vijay, was telling me all the time, you should join our lab, you should join our lab. And I said, I don't know, I want to check other people too. But then um, one day, uh, uh, I had two advisors later, one of my advisors, to advisor to be, his name is Dr. Man Hung Fan, mm-hmm. who is Vietnamese. He came to one of those classes that I had, and he showed us some ferrofluids, which are magnetic. And it's fluid, but it's magnetic. So he was showing us, hey, look, in this vial, we have this black liquid, but you can move it with a magnet. <laughs> And he gave us a magnet and a vial of that ferrofluid, and um, we were all very fascinated with that. And uh, I said, yes, this is what I want to do. (laughs) Now it sounds funny, but that was really fascinating for me to see that thing moving with a magnet there. And uh, I I joined that lab, and I started synthesis of magnetic nanoparticles. There I... Uh, got familiar with the um, 
concept called magnetic hyperthermia. That idea for that is to use magnetic nanoparticles to kill the tumors. And basically, well, if you want, I can explain more yeah, later. Later but, um, detail. Yeah. And after my PhD, I got a postdoc position in Minnesota. And there I had the chance to start working in um, Masoni Cancer Research Center, again with magnetic nanoparticles, but this time wow. with cancer cells. And um, so our project was to um, find out a new kind of biomarker, I would say, with uh, magnetic nanoparticles, magnetic nanowires. And after that, I finished it. And um, now I was overqualified for many jobs. And I was applying and applying and applying. And they were saying, you are overqualified because of that postdoc, I guess. I don't know. And, and, uh, but I learned a lot how to write my resume, how to contact with people. Um, down the road, I got to know many nice people. and. Finally, I got a job in Lonza. Now yes, I'm working in a. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I'm working in a what I wanted biotech pharmaceutical pharmaceutical company, which that is uh, great. Which is really nice, yeah. So all right, let's. Um, we talked briefly, like before this interview, we had talked back and forth about your master's thesis. That uh, you had. Like, can you just walk us through your master's thesis, which was interesting for me? and uh, hmm. potential use of testing aspheric surfaces and computer-generated holograms. Mm -hmm. what, what did you guys exactly do? <laughs> well, um, it's more than 10 years since I worked on that, but whatever I have in my mind, I try to tell you. So basically, the lenses you see, the idea is that they are part of a sphere. So whatever lens you see, it's a part of a sphere. So it can be the inside of the sphere or outside of a sphere. So if it is outside, its shape is like this. If it is inside, then you have something that is going like this. Mm -hmm. So, um, but um, when, depending on whether you are uh, far-sighted or near-sighted, you need um, either convex, con convex or concave lenses. I mean, sorry, I... Uh, if I'm not mistaken. And then, but the problem with these spherical lenses is that um, when the, 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 you need higher dioptry of the, for the lenses, then they become very thick. So they become very heavy. And then you need the bigger rims for your uh, eyeglasses, thicker rims for your eyeglasses to hold them. And it's ugly, and it's heavy. It's not easy right. to deal with that. So um, people were trying to fix that problem, so they started to uh, work on these aspheric lenses, uh, which is not SVR anymore, and uh, the shape is something like this, and you see part of that on the lens, basically. And with that, you don't need that kind of thick lenses they are not that thick. Like if you remember in good old days, like grandmas had, you know, eyeglasses this much thick. Yeah. So with these new lenses, you don't need that kind of thick lenses anymore. And so, of course, it will be lighter. And uh, also, spherical lenses 
give some errors. So um, they are called aberrations. So these lenses, they don't have that uh, aberration. So basically, you can see better with the, uh, the, these lenses. But the problem is when you um, make a lens, you need to check it with a reference and, um, surface to make sure that your lens uh, has been produced correctly. You know, it's what you right. want. The surface is what you want. And usually you have to make a reference surface which is perfect so that you can, you know, check other lenses with that. And that is very expensive and it's not easy to make. Uh, so a few years ago, this hologram um, thing was invented. And uh, so one idea was to uh, kind of use these uh, holograms. You can... Um, write some code and, and generate the pattern that you may get with, um, with the lens after a beam uh, hit the lens. And yeah. uh, you can generate that pattern and you can uh, use lithography to put that pattern on a, tim on a film and then use that as your reference surface to test other kind of lenses. We had some problems. Um, I mean, I did the part of, you know, the coding and making that hologram thingy, but uh, then, uh, you know, for our setup, for our lasers and everything, we needed um, a lens that we couldn't find at the time. Uh, I did my master's in University of Zanjan. There are two universities there. Um, we couldn't find the, the, that lens that we wanted. I don't remember what exactly we needed, but we couldn't find it there. We couldn't find it in um, like some universities that my professor had connections in Iran. So in the end, we had to order it from Thor Lab from US, but Iran is under sanctions. Even then, it was under sanctions. And I asked one of my friends to ship it from us for me but once the tour lab people realized that he was going to send it to iran they started to question him and really? interrogate him kind of and said you know what i'm not going to do that for you i said okay so uh yeah that was interesting so that actually made me more determined to you know i'm going abroad i if yeah. i want to do research i'm going to do it somewhere that i have access to everything that I need. Mm -hmm. so. Limitations um, definitely are very concerning in, America, uh, in Iran, especially yes. in biologics field and like lab related science. There should be no limitations for science, uh, if you ask me. So let's go to the third question. It says, uh, how about your PhD thesis? Since um, you did your PhD in, um, what was it? Magnetic hyperthermia and- yeah. Right, okay, in cancer therapy. So yes, when I joined the new group, I had no idea about magnetism. I mean, yes, when you do physics during your bachelor's degree and your master's, you have to like take some courses on magnetism and electromagnetism. I, of course, I knew that basic, but basically um, I never thought that I was going to work on that. It was completely new for me to especially the chemistry part, because I was uh, synthesizing magnetic nanoparticles myself. And the uh, plan there, so basically what is magnetic hyperthermia? Uh, if you have 
magnetic nanoparticles. Nanoparticles are very small. They tend to negative nine meter. Um, it can be. And uh, um, so if you have these particles in an alternating magnetic field, means a magnetic field that changes direction during the time, this magnetic nanoparticle try to follow the magnetic field. But um, they cannot follow the magnetic field as fast as, you know, direction of the change of the indirection of magnetic field. Right. So when the magnetic field here, they are in the same direction, then suddenly magnetic field changes to this one. Before these particles can go to that way, again, magnetic field changes. So basically, right. the particles cannot follow the magnetic field completely. Mm -hmm. So therefore, there will be some energy um, that will release in the medium. Uh, in the environment, and that is heat. So, and the idea was that um, if we can kind of inject these particles inside the tumor, a cancer cell tumor, and use an alternating magnetic field, these uh, nanoparticles will release heat, and that kills the cancer cells. And cancer cells are much more sensitive to heat than normal cells. So, if you can increase the temperature around 43 to 45 degrees Celsius, that basically kills them. Uh, and uh, usually that... the magnetic field? Yeah, you use an alternating magnetic field. Oh, it's okay. called AC magnetic field. So the direction is changing. It's not like a magnet. A normal magnet, the direction is always one way, you know? It's right. not changing. But this alternating magnetic field, the direction of field is changing all the time. So you put the particles inside the tumor and use this magnetic field, or AC magnetic field, and then you will release heat because of that lag between the um, change of magnetic, you know, direction of the magnetic field and the magnetic nanoparticles. And, um, but the problem is, okay, let's say that we uh, put these particles inside the tumor somehow, that is another story. But let's say that we have uh, put them in there, how you are going to take them out of the body after you are done with the treatment. That is a big problem. So for now, there is no clear way of doing that. But we were thinking, okay, let's say that we, we decrease the dose of the nanoparticles that are required to get that heat you know, to get to that temperature that we, are, we, we want. So to do so, we need to find a shape and a size that gives the best heating efficiency, means that heats more than others. So let's say that I have a spherical nanoparticles, cubic nanoparticles, like rods, which one heats better? So basically what I was doing, I was synthesizing these magnetic nanoparticles with different shapes and sizes. and depending on the shape and the size, the heating is different, and we were trying to find which one is better. At the time, um, my lab was like physics, chemistry lab. Uh, I didn't have access to biological stuff. I couldn't do any, um, you know, cell culture or um, anything like that in our lab. So we were uh, just, um, I was just synthesizing the particles, and we were measuring the heating efficiency inside the 
uh, water and uh, later we were using something called agar which is like kind of um, like a gelatin when you dissolve it in water it gives you something like a more viscous um, medium like a gelatin and that mimics a little bit the cell inside the cell just to see uh, to make it a little bit more like cell so we were putting these particles in in the water and then agar to see how is the heating efficiency so that was my research uh, during my phd which kind of i was very eager to work with cells at the time you know i i was just dying to <laughs> culture some cells myself and put my nanoparticles in there and see what happens what happens right uh so did i in your during your postdoc did you happen to work with actual cells or yes you did okay that was the time that i joined um Department of Electrical Engineering in University of Minnesota. And uh, there were three PIs, um, three advisors. He, they, um, before I joined, they had some, uh, you know, primary experiments with another member who left when I joined and uh, um, in Masonic Cancer Research Center. And uh, based on her findings, they put together a proposal and they got a grant for two years. Uh, through mean future and um, uh, then they looked for a postdoc to work on uh, this project so basically the project their idea was that actually they have a patent on that that if you have magnetic nanowires like uh, sigma, any kind of nanowires basically but the ones that they they were thinking of and they were segmented. So you have a segment of gold, you have a segment of wire, and then segment of gold, a segment of wire. So um, so you have a wire, long wire, and it has several segments. And uh, so there's something called RF frequency. Don't ask me what, because I don't know how to um, explain it in a way that is um, understandable. They say that if you understand something very well, you can explain it to your grandma. I don't know how to explain this one. <laughs> so, so, so there is something called RF frequency that um, is a radio frequency. So if you have these particles, if you check their RF frequency, depend on the length of the uh, wire and the length of the segments, this RF frequency may change. So you can um, synthesize wires with desired, like with a certain length or certain size of segments, and that has a certain RF frequency. And then you can kind of functionalize these wires so that they will bound with a certain type of cell. You know, they, um, for example, if I add some type of protein to this, uh, it will just go to that part, part type of cancer cell, for example. It doesn't attach to other type of cell. Did you and then... I exactly don't know how they do that. I, this was not what I was doing. This was the idea there. And um, so basically, so once you have the wires, you give the wires to the cells and um, the the cells surprisingly like to eat the wires i would say eat them well nice way of that is saying internalize them 
and uh, so once they have them inside them so you can use um, uh, this uh, RF thing to see what cell has that certain RF frequency and then based on that you can kind of sort the cells and um, it's kind of like a microscope or flow cytometer but different way it's not exactly that and um, so I joined to work on this project and of course it was a big project kinda. I mean um, but uh, another part of the project um, was to see the there's something called exosomes all the cells release a small vesicles in the bloodstream called exosomes and um, it doesn't matter what type of cell is that in your body there are billions of exosomes from different types of cells right. and um, uh, cancer cells release those too and exosomes are unique for each type of cells um, so like the RNA protein content is not uh, you know it's unique for each type of cells and uh, uh, some people think that um, this can give if we can isolate these exosomes um, properly uh, and means by isolation okay you have billions of exosomes in the body somehow you can just isolate the ones from the cancer cells yeah. then you can get some information about the stage of cancer kind of like something like a blood biopsy let's say that you draw some blood and you know okay you have cancer hopefully not but yeah but something like that and you know it looks like very very um far for many people but it can happen but um we were trying to use this um to isolate it, these exosomes with magnetic nanowires and the nanoparticles and uh, so basically the idea was that okay once you have um the cells that have internalized the magnetic nanoparticles or nanowires then when they release these exosomes the exosomes kind of either you know they, they package some wires or nanoparticles inside them or they stick to the particles and then we can use um, a magnet to just separate the exosomes which have wires or particles in them right. and uh, so I, I actually did that and actually uh, my latest paper published just today and uh, in this one I have used and thank you I have used uh, nickel nanowires something called magnetosomes uh, magnetosomes are magnetic nanoparticles that kind of bacteria called magnetotactic bacteria prepare so that basically the this kind of bacteria use these magnetic particles to find the way based on magnetic field of earth and uh, so they they synthesize that inside their body and there is a group in spain that i was collaborating with them during my phd they prepare those and at some point i said you know what let's throw some of those in my cells and see what happens so i was just comparing uh, those magnetic uh, particles with these nickel nanowires in there and uh, basically what I have seen uh, with TEM imaging transmission electron microscopy is that it seems that for wires because they are very long 
happen once they are internalized inside the cells, they break into a smaller pieces and then um, they are packaged inside the exosomes. They and, eventually uh, get synthesized though, right? Or do they actually stay in your body? Do they get synthesized to get out or are there, is there any way I out? was not using anything inside body. What I was doing was culturing cell in a flask or a six-well plate and then I would add the wires in there. So my study was in vitro, not in vitro. In vitro, okay. All right. So, um, so basically, I'm, I mean, I have taken some nice pictures. You can check my papers. <laughs> see yeah. those if you are interested. Um, but um, yeah, that was the study during my postdoc. So um, the good thing about working in Masoni Cancer Research Center was that I, I mean, I had no experience with biology, so I had the chance to learn, you know, working with cells and, you know, several biological methods and different equipments there. And that kind of prepared me for my new job here at NONSA. Yeah, could you tell us, uh, that was the, like the next question I was going to ask is, um, how did biology and physics like basically help you like uh, land a position in a biotech pharmaceutical company? Well, the thing is what um, the project they are doing here is very similar to what I was doing in my uh, postdoc. I, I think I cannot say what exactly I am doing but yeah. for that. Uh, but uh, it's very similar. I was working with uh, exosomes there here. I am doing um, the same thing. And again, lots of experience with that, which is very helpful. Uh, but of course, I am learning new methods again. And uh, I'm using whatever I knew from before. Of course, that's very helpful, but they are new equipment, new methods. And I think that's the good thing about research. Um, if you are into research, there is always something new to learn. Do you like, uh, do you enjoy like working in a company, sort of like research lab or a university research lab? Did you see any differences? Did you feel any differences? Well, the difference is that, first of all, I think everything is very more, much more organized here. And, uh, you know, they have a plan for everything. And everyone knew their job, do it on the time that they are supposed to do that. But in academia, my big problem was to convince my colleagues that, hey, I am culturing these cells and the cells growing. If we are planning to do it today, we should do it today. Okay. And if it is tomorrow, the condition has changed. You know, and people that I was working, um, they were, some of them were in electrical engineering department and they were asking me, hey, what's wrong with you? Why can't we do this tomorrow? And why don't you just wait a little bit more? Because it was not possible. Cancer cells grow every 24 hours. They become... I think twice or even more, you know. So today I culture 300,000, tomorrow they are 600,000, the day after they are 1.2 million. So they are increasing, they are growing, and that the condition has to be the same for all the experiments so that you can kind of compare them. Right. But here I think it's better in that regard. And the other thing is, of course, the... 
volume is much bigger. So there I was working with 20 milliliter. Here I am working with three liter and I'm not even in manufacturing. I'm in a research area. So I mean, I'm sure in manufacturing they are working with much higher, bigger volumes, like um, let's say 50 liter instead of three liter. Yeah. So, so well, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, because uh, for me personally, transitioning from like a research lab to the manufacturing lab um, was was not necessarily uh, the the sort of like the, the expectations that I was uh, having was di were different. You know, um, that's why I was like, oh, I wonder how was it for you transitioning for like. I, was I, like, I don't know. I I kind of like it. I. I think my experience in Muslim Cancer Center helped me a lot because from the first, when I came from PhD to postdoc, that cancer center was very different than what I was used to before, you know, right. the lab that I used to before and, you know, the way that they work, everything is clean, perfectly clean and everything is shining in a physics lab if you go or in an inter electrical engineering people. Um, it, you know, it's not that important to be that clean and shine everything, but in a right. biology app, it's very important. It, it I don't, I'm not saying they are dirty, <laughs> but I'm saying that in there, it's much cleaner. Much okay. Everything is much more organized. All right. Well, with that, uh, we will conclude the interview, and I would like to thank you, Dr. Zohra, for your time for taking the time to be our guest on this platform. And uh, I'm very sure that your experience and the insights that you have shared on this platform will help a lot of people with their studies, with their projects, um, and their career goals, um, wanting to continue like their PhD studies, master's studies, because, man, um, if you are going for grad school, at every step, you're like, all right, how about if I just drop out today? Like, no, what's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? I was thinking about that, too. <laughs> yeah, so um, hopefully this sort of, like, um, um, podcast or episodes will help them sort of stick to their goal and uh, push through it. And, uh, again, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. If you like this podcast and would like to get notified of our future episodes, please follow us on Spotify or whatever podcast platform you use. Until next time, your host, Nader Baimatov.